one. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our brand new podcast show for the love of books, featuring indie and small press authors who bravely navigate the treacherous waters of self-publishing and marketing even during the pandemic. I will be your host, Emma, and we're going to have a great show with an international guest lineup as we move toward the vaccination of the entire globe. This show was made partly possible by the generosity of Doc A.E. Shaven and her support for the arts. It is my pleasure to present to you author Andrew Smith of West Michigan. Andrew has spent 10 books, including The Masterson Files, two short story anthologies, and poetry. Welcome, Andrew. Why, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. When did you start writing and why? Uh, I started writing very young. I probably, uh, about the time I could pick up a pencil, uh, and it was just an outlet for me. Uh, but I never really put it into anything until I was uh, about eight or nine. Uh, and uh, even now I'm finding many notebooks uh, as there were no computers back when I was that young uh, per se. So I'm finding many notebooks of writings that I've done in the past. And uh, it, it was uh, very, uh, very therapeutic uh, to be able to write down the experiences that I had when I was younger. Do you still any use of those notes? Do you find any use of them, even if you were to transform them or not at all? It's just- uh, Actually, I found a really awesome story that I may take and write into a partial children's book. Uh, and it's, it's not really a children, it's more of a young adult, uh, but it was, uh, uh, the, the story was about a boy who was, uh, thrust into a cube of metal and finds it was a computer built by his father that could transform to any shape or size uh, and modify itself on the fly. Uh, And the story actually still has validity today. And the technology I wrote about in my early teens about this of uh, using the shells and uh, magnetic induction, there's a lot to it that is becoming popular today. I think it would still be fun to, to take it to its next evolution. It was a that, little dumb good. <laughs> that sounds fun. fascinating. Uh, what sets you apart from other authors? I'm bigger than everybody else. Oh, wait, no, no, that's a, uh, I have more fun. I have more personality. I don't know. Maybe I have a little of everything. Uh, I am, uh, I, I think what sets me apart is, uh, I am an avid reader, which most are, but I'm, my personal library has a little over 10,000 books in it. I'm also an avid movie watcher because I'm awake almost all the time uh, and have uh, at least 9,000 movies in my personal library uh, that I've been collecting since the late 70s. So I, I read and watch and watch the world Uh, And I feel that sometimes I have a very unique view. I don't try to overload the the reader with details, but at the same time, I like to give people enough details so that they they can feel a part of the story and let their imaginations run wild. But maybe the answer is I'm bigger than everybody else. That that would work. That's a pretty good answer. What have you learned about yourself while writing your books? 
you know, uh, I, what I've learned is that uh, my limitations are all self-imposed. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing that we have to remember. Uh, not only do I write books, but I write a daily blog post as an inspiration, which is very different from some of the things that I write about, uh, because I write about fear and uh, I write about uh, passion and the limited, the unlimited edge of passion. But what I've learned is that anything that I put on myself is uh, is exactly what's causing me uh, to be limited. Uh, and the world itself doesn't limit, li limit me as much as I limit myself. So how do you overcome that? How do you overcome those self-limitations? We all have them. <laughs> uh, I avoid limitations as, as a whole. So each day uh, when I wake up, if I am not feeling 110%, uh, I make a conscious effort to eliminate the negativity. Uh, I focus on the, the here and the now. I uh, define my present constantly. I set aside whining about the past. I set aside uh, pining about the future, but instead make myself the best that I can be. And when I'm involved in a situation, I give 110% to the situation. So instead of Habsies, or instead of, oh, I kind of write. If I'm writing, I'm wholly immersed in writing. Uh, if I'm involved in many of my other passions, and I have a lot of passions, uh, I am overly involved in them at the time. Uh, a, a dumb story when I was young, I was afraid of many things. But as I grew older, I decided I wouldn't be afraid of anything. And the only thing that I didn't get over was my fear of heights. So I checked into a hotel that had 20 floors and I was on the 19th floor and I hung over the balcony edge until I was no longer afraid of heights uh, and realized that the heights didn't hurt me. It was my fear of them that caused it. So at this time, I, I can usually say that I avoid fear at any cost and avoid limiting myself at any cost. So that hanging over the railing or the balcony really helped you get rid of your fear of height? Totally. I wasn't totally. afraid anymore. Yep. So now if I jump on a zip line, it doesn't mean anything. If I'm on the top of a mountain uh, or a I haven't been to any real big mountains, but on the Smokies or on the edge of a cliff, I don't get the sensation of vertigo anymore because I faced my fear and overcame it. How have you changed as an author? Let's say from a writer to an author. That's a big change. Uh, yeah, it is a big change. And I don't know. I don't know that it significantly modified who I was as a person. Uh, it, it's still interesting. I was just this week. I was out, and somebody walked up to me, and uh, the book I'm reading today just recently released, and uh, they said, "I saw that you had a new book, and I bought your book." And uh, I took it to the beach with me because it was perfect just to read a little story at a time. And that, uh, that now lack of anonymity uh, that people can walk up and say, I know you, uh, it has been an interesting change. Now, I've, I've been used to that on larger speaking engagements with things that I've done in the past working in clinical research and other areas in technology, but having it just from somebody on the street that I only know a little bit 
uh, to come up and say, hey, I've read what you wrote and I really liked this story and here's why. Uh, it's opened up a new avenue of even more communication. You know me, Emma, though. I'm not shy. I'm not shy about it. No, anything. you're not. I so, know you're not. That's so good. I, it it, That's it good. actually has opened up a, an avenue for just more people. For more people, for more fans. What yep. platform do you publish on and why? Uh, I publish on two platforms. Uh, on I use Amazon uh, and uh, I was an early adopter of Amazon. Uh, and now, of course, all Amazon has is KDP. Uh, I use that because I, I went through the submission process with several companies. Uh, and as I got letters back that said, you know, we're not interested at this time, or we will be interested or uh, keep submitting. I, I started uh, talking to people and I, I had uh, one gentleman that was with a larger press company that will remain unnamed uh, that told me, uh, if you're not famous uh, and you don't have a huge following to start with, you're not going to get published on any of the normal platforms. Uh, and he said, your best bet is to try self-publishing. I was being pushed by friends to publish a, a book of short stories I did before. And uh, so I went ahead and then I started researching more and more and found that a lot of the publishing companies take most of the profits anyway. Still, you have to do a lot of your own work. Still, you have to do a lot of the self-promotion and a lot of the people that they, uh, that uh, they bank on are people that come with the numbers to begin with. So if, if uh, a president or a vice president publishes, of course they want to take that book because they're going to make excessive money off of it. But if somebody has a good story, no matter how the good story, how good the story is, uh, there's not as much of a push because it takes too much work to return the investment. And Hey, it's, it's just nice to be able to control almost everything on your own. Yes. What is your daily writing routine, if you have one that you could describe to us, your daily writing routine? Well, uh, every night at about nine o'clock in the evening, I start writing. And uh, I will start by writing my daily post uh, at 29,000 Sunsets and get my... Uh, get my inspiration out there. And then I will choose one of several open projects uh, and I will get on a roll. Right now, I'm very focused on writing a book with my little sister on what not to say to people who are grieving. Uh, we re recently went through a terrible family tragedy and lost my niece who was, a, uh, who was killed in a tragic accident. Uh, and I'm sorry. Oh, no issues. Uh, I mean, it, things like this are difficult to deal with. But what was amazing was the number of people uh, that said things that uh, weren't exactly right. So we decided together to uh, write a book that uh, would address that and give people uh, something to look at and say, hmm, uh, I've thought about saying that. Maybe I shouldn't. Uh, and that, that obviously... Uh, it is a, a passion of my little sister now, and uh, I'm following with and helping her with that passion, and we will co-publish it together and hope to have it out later this month. Wow. What do you find the easiest and the hardest in the whole process 
from the initial idea to getting the book in front of the readers? What is the easiest and the hardest? The easiest <laughs> is the book itself. Uh, <laughs> I have so many uh, ideas that I would like to write. If I could write full time, I, I would push out a dozen books a month, uh, simply because uh, all of these ideas are pushing through my head across a variety of genres. Uh, so, you know, when I actually sit down and start writing, I can write a very great number of, uh, of words per day, uh, often a ridiculous number of words per day, uh, and then get the book to a point that uh, an editor can look at it. Uh, the editing process is irritating, uh, but uh, usually my stories are fine. It's just the misuse of words uh, because I've typed too fast uh, or uh, you know the understanding of the situations. Uh, but uh, the publishing is fairly straightforward either with Ingram Spark or uh, with Amazon. And I didn't say that earlier about Ingram Spark being the second uh, choice, mm -hmm. but uh, then the the getting in front of the reader and finding the readers. Uh, I've been working with a variety of people to try to find that perfect advertising platform. Uh, what what is the perfect way to get more readers? And what I've found is so far there isn't a perfect way, uh, and uh, that that's a bit frustrating. Uh, and you know, having a few thousand fans is great, but having a hundred thousand fans would be really good. Uh, so, you know, if, if, we, if we could get there and find a platform that worked, uh, what I find mostly is that many of the ad options from Amazon to BookBub to all around are much happier to take your money than for sure give any results. Uh, so I have to, I'll come up with the perfect solution someday. Yeah, <laughs> you're the solution person. I know you yeah. will. You're my second COVID author, meaning that you have written, finished, published, and marketed your work during the pandemic. Tell us all about that experience, as opposed to this whole process in normal times. If you were to compare you publishing and the entire process during the COVID pandemic to publishing and the whole process in the normal times. I, you know, I understand the question, and I, it's, I, I think the, the toughest part uh, of the entire COVID situation it was trying not to embrace the negativity uh, and trying to stay away from those negative pieces that uh, are so prevalent and have become even more prevalent in society. Uh, it's very easy to go down the rabbit hole of, uh, you know, this was a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing that beset the planet. It's a terrible thing that beset uh, the country. Uh, people are uh, not only dying from a disease, uh, but they're killing themselves more frequently. They're, they're, they're feeling divided more so as a nation and as a world than they've ever been. And when you're writing, uh, a lot of your current emotions uh, and uh, a lot of the current state of the world end up being a part of that writing. Well, I didn't want the, the whole situation to overwhelm me. So 
when I when I worked on all of the different uh, pieces that I've done and uh, the two novels that I wrote during the pandemic, uh, I I tried to stay away from the pandemic as as a, as a whole. One because I think it will date the. Uh, it'll date the works. And there are, there are two stories that I've written that are very pandemic specific, but uh, you know, if you're writing about the pandemic, it'll be these two or three years that are in the middle of the 2020 time period. Uh, but the other thing is I didn't want to capitalize on the negativity and, and capitalize on that, that bad sense of what might be and instead wanted to continue on as if the world were still as it was. Uh, and uh, I think that's the, the biggest challenge. Now, the rest of the process was um, very similar. It was very uh, fluid, very open. Uh, and, uh, you know, as much as it could have, uh, the pandemic uh, only made me a hermit and that, that's about all. Uh, so I, I sat in my house and uh, didn't get out as much and didn't eat out all the time. And maybe that was good. But I also didn't run around all the time and gain some weight. And uh, it, that's kind of bad. So, uh, you know, it's, it, was, it was still the pandemic had its effect, but I tried to avoid everything that it was putting out there. So your most recent book, A Slice of Fear, was published on February 20th, right? In 2021. Yes. So let's talk about that, about your most recent book. It was published during the pandemic and it's also your most recent book. Um, tell us about the cover and what inspired the book, the story, the 15 stories. I know that there are 15 stories in it. What inspired the stories? Correct. There are 15 stories inside of the book and uh, Five of the stories were written during the pandemic and several of the stories are stories that I had already written and wanted to make sure that I continued to uh, <coughs> take forward. So uh, it, it's a it's a fun book because uh, it has a variety of uh, excuse me one second. Yep. Water. Water. It has a variety of possibilities built into it. Uh, but, uh, I started with, with the cover. And if you look at the cover, <coughs> one of the things that you'll see is that there is a sword going across. Uh, and this is a sword that is key to one of the stories. There is a doll that is key to the story that I'm going to read today. Uh, and there is a, a cake down at the bottom. So we have a slice and there are other things. It's on an old fashioned piece of wood that you can see on the back cover. Uh, but what I tried to do is capture a little bit of the stories and hope that you know, people would, uh, oh, I wonder what, what this is uh, and why I should be in this. Uh, but, but the stories were all uh, either fear or horror based. Uh, and uh, I, I enjoy the idea of a scare, even though uh, uh, for the most part, if you take me to any horror movies, I end up laughing more than anything, uh, just because most horror movies are really funny. <laughs> and when I read horror, uh, with, the, with the exception of early on, uh, I find that uh, a lot of it is relatively predictable. There have been some people 
Uh, Andy Lockwood surprised me with one of his, and there, there are some people that are, are are very good at twisting the uh, twisting the edge of what what is scary and what isn't. Uh, but uh, I I love the idea, and eventually I will take one of these stories uh, that I wrote for uh, a group, and uh, this one this one story called The Edge will probably end up into a book. Uh, it's a it's a story about a girl who finds a sword in a secondhand shop, and when she finds the sword, it has uh, an interesting capability of transferring the life from other people to the to the a wielder of the sword. So uh, it makes a a very uh, interesting impression on people. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I also agree that some of the horror stories are funny and predictable. Like, for example, I found the it very, not very funny, but I found funny elements in it. Oh, yeah. And very predictable. Oh, yeah. Even oh. though I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. Out of the 15 stories in this, your most recent book, which one is your favorite one out of the 15? I would have to say that my favorite is the bookstore. The bookstore, why? The bookstore was written in the pandemic as well. Uh, <clears throat> the bookstore was a challenge. Uh, and, whoops. Uh, the bookstore was a challenge uh, from an owner of a bookstore in uh, Montague, Michigan. Uh, and uh, I was like, wow. Uh, this is a cute, write a story about a bookstore. So I wanted to write something that was unique and different. So I wrote about a man who is sitting at the inside of the bookstore door and his face is wet and it's storming outside. And he goes through a transformation as he's inside the bookstore, uh, interacting with uh, two people inside, and it turns out that nothing is as it seems. It is not particularly scary. Uh, it is not terrifying, uh, but it is macabre, and it, uh, it offers a glimpse inside of why we do and don't do the things uh, that we probably should do. Uh, and uh, I, I enjoy the story every time I read it, uh, and uh, I have read it many times. As a second, the, the second that's kind of fun is a little story called Faith. And I wrote a very sweet story for the pandemic that is inside of the book, Simple Things, uh, that okay. Pages Promotions published. And that story, Faith, inside of Pages Promotions is so sweet and so pure. And the same night that I wrote it, uh, very sweet and pure for simple things. I took the same story and changed the ending to where the little girl wasn't as nice and uh, actually had thousands of razor sharp teeth. And when she took her mask off, uh, ate the woman who was there. Uh, so, you know, it uh, kind of, I, I kind of shifted a really nice story to a not very nice story. And that's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to see the two stories next to each other and go, wow. <laughs> Is the anthology out now? Has it been published? 
Yes, uh, okay. A Slice of Fear is available on Amazon now, either in Kindle version or in paperback. The paperback is here. Ding, yeah. ding. And you can get the paperback just by going to Amazon. And I also it. meant the anthology by Pages Promotions, the one where yeah. your faith is in it. That yes. In Pages Promotion, that is available too. And if you want to do the best way of getting it, go to pagespromotions.com and uh, you can download it. Uh, Diane, who owns Pages Promotion, is a great friend uh, to all authors. And uh, I think she's pretty terrific. Uh, she publishes this and gives the proceeds uh, to, I think it's the World Literacy Foundation. Uh, so it's, uh, if you're, if you want to buy a good positive book with uplifting stories about the pandemic, that's it. And then after you read faith in simple things, you can read it in a slice of fear and end up going, wow. Uh, <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. All right, Andrew, would you like to read to us? I can read to us. Won't that be great? That would uh, be awesome. And I, I am going to, just so you can remember who I am, I, I'm going to uh, put my, my book up here so that Perfect. I can have my book there and Perfect. I can be off to the side. Perfect. <laughs> and I am going to read the, uh, a passage from the book called Safe. Uh, it is Reader Safe. <clears throat> Safe. Molly was alone again. Although Molly was only eight years old, she liked being alone in their big house. It made her smile to walk up and down the long hallways between the two wings. And she laughed when she was home alone and could enjoy the thrill of sliding down the long spiral banister from the second floor to the first. Her parents said it was dangerous, but she loved the thrill of the ride down. And because the banister sloped at the end, she could slide to the floor and laugh. The first time she had slid down, she had fallen on her bottom. Not wanting to draw attention, she walked briskly for a few days, even though her bottom hurt a lot. It went away, and she practiced until she knew just when to slow down and just when to stop so she wouldn't fall. She had not fallen again. As she explored the old house her father had inherited from a grandparent, she became fascinated with all the toys all over. There were dolls and stuffed animals, trains, toy soldiers, and a multitude of other items that glistened, sparkled, and made noise so well that she just had to play with them. It was in one of the rooms she had found Shelly. Well, she had called the doll Shelly, but she really didn't know her name. The doll was old, beat up, and well-loved. Wore a simple plain red skirt and a white shirt worn with age. She had on tights and a small rip over her knee and a black patent shoes. A small red necklace dangled from her neck with a heart on it. When she had found Shelly, she was under a bed in one of the upstairs back bedrooms. And as she held the doll, she just felt safe. Shelly had become her favorite companion. And as she walked from place to place, she carried Shelly everywhere. Shelly was never far from her side and they had great fun sliding down the stairs together. So here again, they were alone and Molly and Shelly were having a great time. We'll have much fun tonight, Molly said to the doll. Mommy and Daddy are gone again, and we can do whatever we want. It was a fun night already, and Molly and Shelly began running the halls from room to room. Snooping like two sleuths, Molly's imagination ran wild, and her long curly golden hair bounced on her shoulders, and she laughed with the little doll. Molly was good at being alone. A sound shattered the evening from the lower floors, and Molly was startled but curious. 
She ran to the stairs with graceful ease, took the banister down to the floor and landed quietly. Lost in the moment, Molly raised her arms in a brief gymnast pose, but then remembered her reason for being downstairs. Molly heard the crinkle of glass and held Shelley close to her as they crept closer, closer, until there in front of her, two men coming in the foyer window. The men were dressed in black and both normal sized, much smaller than her dad, but they looked mean. One was gruffy with blonde hair and skin so white, Molly wondered if he had ever been in the sun. The other was dark, almost black as night. They both had on black hats as well, like they were trying to be part of the darkness. Molly ran back to the stairs and ran up them quickly. As she reached the top stairs, she turned and saw the two men at the bottom. It's okay, little girl. We just want to get something your daddy owes us. Why don't you come down here? The very white man asked. No, Molly said and ran in the, to the hallway upstairs, hearing the men running the stairs behind her. She was in one of the bigger bedrooms and looking for a way out and set Shelly on the floor as she tried the duct. No luck. As she reached back to grab the doll, someone grabbed her hand. Molly looked and a little girl was holding her hand. This way, the little girl said and led Molly to a wall. Touching the wall in the edge of the molding, a small door opened up. It looked like a wall, but it wasn't. The little girl led Molly into the wall and closed the doorway behind them. There was a dim light in this little area and Molly looked up to see a vent above her. The room was long and narrow and turned as she wondered and it wondered if it went anywhere. She started to move, but the little girl softly grabbed her and put her finger to her lips. Shh, she whispered. Molly understood and they waited as they heard footsteps crashing around the room. They were obviously furiously looking for Molly to no avail. Molly waited and the sounds disappeared. The little girl smiled in the darkness. We can go now, she said and opened the door into the room. Who are you, Molly asked. The little girl in the red skirt and white tights giggled. Shelly, you silly. Molly gaped. Shelly? Molly looked at the girl in the, in the white shirt and the locket with the heart, the white tights and light brown hair. It was all there. But how could this be Shelly? Shelly led them to the edge of the room where they heard the men going through one of the other bedrooms. Race you, Shelly said. The two ran suddenly to the stairs and Molly was determined to win. She grabbed the banister and swung her leg over, then slid down quickly. Shelly had done the same and was right in front of her. Well, in front of her was right, but they were both going down the stairs backward quickly. There's two of them, they heard the voices as they reached the top of the stairs. The two men bounded down the stairs as Shelly and Molly rode the long banister. Molly was going faster and had to make the landing work. As she hit the end, she pushed out her legs so she would not fall, but tumbled over instead. She felt dizzy from the fall and saw Shelly landing at the bottom of the stairs. The two men rushed for Shelly as they reached the floor and Molly felt dizzy. Shelly grew and grew and a full grown woman stood before the two men. And then Molly thought that woman reached for the men and her hands were bone and ice. The darkness in the room seemed to seep in from the shadows and surround the woman as the two men tried to run. Their legs were frozen in place and they looked at the woman in horror. The men screamed for a moment as the shadows left the woman and seemed to surround the men now. The room was cold for a moment as the two men began to shake and shimmy like butter in a frying pan. The two men then fell to the ground 
but neither looked the same. Their eyes were no longer looking at the room, but lost in something else, some scene only they could see, a scene they might never escape. Molly looked back up, but the woman was gone too. And the little girl, Shelley, was gone as well. Molly shook her head and walked to the two men and saw her doll laying on the floor. She picked her up and ran to the door just as her mother and father walked in. Molly yipped a little. What's going on here? What happened to the window? Her father asked. Molly turned and looked at the men spasming on the floor. What on earth? Molly's mother asked. Molly just held her doll close and knew she was safe. Safe from anything that would come for her. Thank you. That was great. Yay. A few last questions. Where can people see you in person this summer? That's a good question. <laughs> I know it is. I have trouble uh, answering that myself. I have just found that the Muskegon Art Festival is going to go on and I will be there with my tent and uh, not only with a slice of fear, but uh, with at least 10 other books that I've written uh, that will be a lot of fun. I would appreciate if anybody would come and visit. I will have a mask on even. It'll be good. Perfect. Uh, how about parting shots? You know, I just... Uh, I know that reading is a very personal experience. My books aren't necessarily for everyone, uh, but I try to make it as exciting as possible. And, uh, you know, I, tr I try to let people enjoy what I read. If you don't like what I write, please, there are lots of indie authors that are absolutely fantastic, including Emma, uh, that's right here with us. Uh, but uh, I support all indie authors and authors in general. Find a book that you like. Reading is so much better than being lost in the, uh, the social media world. Uh, you can actually go to another world and enjoy yourself. Have a lot of fun. Read lots of books. Learn lots of new things. But be happy and be yourself. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew, for being with us. Thanks much. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.